In the United States, there are memorials, monuments, and statues honoring our military veterans in just about every state. Some honor our soldiers in general, and some honor specific people. But if you look closely, you'll see that in some of these statues, they include another important being that participated in our wars. Horses. It might be easy to overlook them since we've stopped using them in modern warfare, having been replaced with tanks and other armored vehicles. But they have not been forgotten. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we look at the past, present, and future of American progress and culture, discovering our values along the way. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV series Reconnecting Roots. In the TV show, we look at a broad overview of a given topic, but here, we're able to do more of a deep dive. And I'll be your guide throughout our story today. I'll be out in the field, getting insights from people all across America. And today, we're looking at our history of horses in the military and our armed forces. You know, you see them all the time in war movies, and <laughs> I mean, there's even a movie called War Horse that was made by Steven Spielberg. And yet, I think their importance is glossed over a lot when we talk about American history. Not just with our military, but even just overall, horses have done a lot and contributed a lot to this country. I'll be honest, it's something I didn't think about a whole lot until we started making Reconnecting Roots. It was pretty eye-opening for me to see how quickly we went from utilizing an animal in all kinds of ways, from transportation, factory work, farming, um, like you mentioned, even in war, to now where mostly horses are pets. I mean, they've become something that we have for leisure. It's rare to find people today putting horses to work. Yeah, that's true. What I think is also interesting is if we pull back and take a broad look at the world and our place in it, it's kind of crazy how we've domesticated animals and put them to work for us. It's one thing to hunt animals for food, using their hides or wool for clothing and all that, but it's another to train them almost like employees to do our labor for us. And then to take that to the next level and use them for battles, military, and police work, there's not really any other animal we form the same type of bond with. Sure, we used oxen and mules to help with travel at times, but not on this level. Our exploration of this country and our ability to defend it is all thanks to horses. Without them, history would be completely different and America wouldn't be what it is today. So if we want to reconnect to our past and understand how we got here, we can't ignore everything horses have done for us. So how did all this start? Ancestors of modern day horses were running across North America millions of years ago, but they became mostly extinct and no one knows exactly why. Was it climate change? Did humans have something to do with it? Did aliens abduct them and take them to a planet that's now filled with alien horse hybrids? Well, we're not 100% sure at the moment, but we do know that a large number of them went away. Eventually, they slowly started reappearing in other parts of the world. Humans figured out how to tame them, ride them, and use them for work. When humans started having conflicts with one another, we also figured out that they could be a huge benefit in our battles. Warfare completely changed from that point on. They came back to North America during Christopher Columbus's expeditions, but weren't tromping over modern day United States territory until 1538 when they came to Florida. 
By the early 1800s, Native Americans had acquired large numbers of horses and incorporated them into their cultures at a seemingly faster rate than the rest of the country. They were highly revered by their owners and would be painted and decked out with beads and feathers in their manes and tails. They used them for hunting, traveling, and yes, for battles. They presented quite the challenge to the U.S. Army thanks to their mastery of horses. The U.S. military caught on, though, and formally created cavalry units in 1855. From that point on, horses were incorporated into almost all facets of American life. Horses were incredibly important in the Civil War. It was the best method of transportation at the time, and both armies used them for everything. It's hard to even imagine the Civil War being carried out if they didn't have access to horses. Every branch within the military used horses, from the servicemen, artillery, cavalry, all of them. Each army had 35,000 horses pulling just wagons and supplies. The largest battle in the Civil War that involved cavalry consisted of 17,000 horsemen. The use of horses between the two armies presented a difference in class culture, though. In the North, horses were bred and used for work purposes, which generally led to bigger, stronger horses that could carry more weight. In the South, however, horses represented the members of the elite class since they were used for racing and by owners to overlook plantations. In fact, if you were a member of the Confederate Cavalry, you needed to bring your own horse, which meant you had to have the means to own one in the first place. More than 1.5 million horses and mules died in service in the Civil War. And that's not counting the several millions more that were injured. For comparison, the amount of human casualties in the Civil War was 620,000, which still remains the highest death toll for our military during wartime. Needless to say, those horses made an enormous contribution to our military that, sadly, included a staggering loss of life. Horses continued to be used in the military and everyday life in America for decades, but modern technology started to shift things. The invention and popularity of trains radically changed how we moved around. The automobile was just starting to gain traction when the earth was plunged into World War I. Horses were still a major part of that war, but things were transitioning to a new era. Horses were used heavily for transportation, pulling supplies, wagons, and of course, their pesky riders on their backs. Cavalry squads were heavily deployed in the beginning of the war, but people found out they were especially vulnerable to machine gun fire, which was now being used a lot more compared to previous wars. Hmm. Who knew? So as the war went on, cavalry teams were pulled back, but they still needed them for other aspects of the war, and as the conflict went on for years, horses became more valuable and hard to replace. Since the American military was sent over to Europe to help our allies, good, strong horses were mostly imported. When thousands of horses died, not just from bullets, but also from disease and poisonous gases, it became harder to replace them. In fact, at a point close to the end of the war, horses were seen as more valuable than human life. Part of the reason Germany lost was because a blockade prevented new horses from going to the Central Powers. At the end of the war, the United States had sent over one million horses to Europe, 
and estimates say a total of around 6 million horses were used in the war overall. Between the end of the First World War and the beginning of the Second, technology had advanced at an incredible rate. Horses were readily replaced by military vehicles in many countries, especially in the United States and in Great Britain. They were used in much greater numbers by the Axis powers, particularly Germany, since they didn't have the same kind of access to oil like we did. Germany and the Soviet Union ended up using more than 6 million horses by the end of World War II. But America was down to only one cavalry unit, which it deployed to the conflict in the Philippines, where they fought against Japanese soldiers. After the war was over, it seemed like the United States would have no need to use horses during war efforts ever again. And that's pretty much what happened for decades on. Horses were used here and there, but cavalry units went horseless and programs designed to train military servicemen were dropped. That is, until the 21st century. On September 11th, 2001, our world forever changed. It was a scary time and an uncertain time. What was gonna happen? What were we gonna do? We all wanted answers. We wanted to know what to do next, who to look for. So in the very next month, the United States government started targeting Al-Qaeda and Taliban areas with airstrikes in Afghanistan. Shortly after, they deployed troops in the northern side of that country. But there was a problem. The terrain was very different than what a lot of our troops were used to. It was difficult to navigate, filled with steep mountainsides, cliffs, and narrow roads. There was no way they would be able to use military trucks or armored vehicles to get around. So they had to rely on a tried and true method of transportation that hadn't been used by the US Army since 1942. You guessed it, horses. The troops met up with their allies who were able to provide them with local horses. There was just one problem. None of these troops knew how to ride a horse. Well, except for one person, Captain Mark D. Nutch, who explained a little about his upbringing. My family still ranches here in north central Kansas. I grew up showing horses, competing in youth rodeo, and our rural Kansas high school team actually had a high school rodeo team. I went on to Kansas State University and actually competed for two years uh, at the collegiate level in team roping and calf roping. But who knew that that upbringing by Kansas ranchers and cowboys and team ropers was going to play such a critical role in the success of our mission. Since they were thrown right into the start of a brand new war, there wasn't exactly a whole lot of time to prepare these troops for the long rides ahead. They had to adapt very quickly. That first morning we were in country, we split into two six-man elements, and my six men had a four-hour horse ride. My sergeants are learning how to ride in combat. The Army wasn't exactly training us to ride horses at that point. They weren't training any special operators to do that. But these guys did an incredible job learning how to figure out how to ride this animal that wants to kill you. He doesn't want you on his back as a 200-pound American with another 50 pounds of lightweight gear. So they'd bite you, kick you at the most inopportune time. So you had to stay alert. Everything in that country at that time was trying to kill you. As they learned how to ride and utilize these horses for their mission, the number of allies grew. But again, 
Most of them were on horseback as well. On the first day, we had 300 horsemen under General Dostum with the Uzbeks. By three weeks later, we had over 3,000 militia fighters rallied around these, these ethnic leaders. 2,500 horsemen, 500 light infantry. I had a 19th century force armed with 20th century weapons. Since these fighters were either on horseback or on foot, they could only carry a light amount of gear. They had rifles, AK-47s, and rocket-propelled grenade launchers, but the enemy had tanks, cannons, and anti-aircraft missiles at the cities and compounds our troops were trying to capture. So the fighters used the horses to their advantage as much as possible, traveling through terrain that the enemy couldn't in order to get better positions for the fight. Ultimately, the U.S. Special Forces were able to execute strategies with their allies in order to capture key positions, along with support from the U.S. Air Force above those locations. With these new locations under command, more troops and supplies were able to be brought into the war zones. But none of this would have been possible if it weren't for the ability for our soldiers to ride out on these horses in the first place. After the war in Afghanistan mostly came to a close, the use of horses in the military were pretty much put on hold. But they're still used in a different side of our government, in the police. They've trained them to be police officers, teaching them how to drive and shoot guns before earning their badge and patrolling the streets as horse cops. Okay, that's a lie. Although, how amazing would that be, right? <laughs> no, I'm of course talking about the mounted units that still exist all over our country. Even though cops have access to super fast cars and helicopters, there are still reasons for officers to ride out on these majestic animals like sheriffs from the Wild West. I had the opportunity to spend some quality time with the police at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, Kentucky. And no, I wasn't arrested. The park actually has their own police force, a mounted police force. The horses they use are of course super well trained. They mainly use draft breeds like Percherons or Clydesdales crossed with a slightly smaller, more athletic horse like a quarter horse. And this gives them the power they need with a bit more maneuverability and speed, and also a friendly disposition, which they need for engaging with the public. And you could tell they're used to having lots of pedestrians like me want to come up and give them a pet. Captain Lisa Rakes allowed me to see firsthand how she uses her horse for maneuvering in very unique ways. I could do a head-on approach like this and I could say move, get back, and I could walk forward and you either going to stand there yeah. or I'm going to walk and use his shoulder to push you out of the way. Yeah, if he wants me to move, I'm probably going to do it. So if something happens, maybe you, you're trying to pull me off. Yeah. yeah. If I turn my horse like this, yeah. you're just going to walk a circle. See, you're right. just going to be able to hang with me. You're not going to, I'm not doing anything, am I? Right. But now, if I turn my horse a different direction, right. and I use his motor, Okay, right. it's going to push you right here. Now watch his feet. He'll right. get stepped on. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to use his hips <laughs> to push you off. Yeah. And that was pretty Good slow. Boy. And when we do it in practice, the guy's feet literally leaves the ground. 
What are some advantages being on actual horseback that like you couldn't do, say on foot or mountain bike or something um, like that? When we're on the horse, you got to remember we're walking at a slow speed. Right. We're seeing things that when you're in the car, you're not, you're not going to see. What the horse does that these other things can't do is they're they're a bridge between the police yeah. who's riding them and the public. Right. So nobody ever wants to come up and say, "Oh, can I pet your?" Can I pet your car? But the horse, they come up to the officer on the horse and they say, oh, what kind of horse do you have? And then all of a sudden we have a dialogue going and yeah. we, you know, you, they start opening up about things that may be going on in their community and you develop some sort of a friendship with them. You start learning things about your neighborhood. People wave at you, they smile, they're out there trying to take pictures. I've seen this a number of times. We got to save $200,000 or whatever it right. is. Let's disband the mounting unit. Within a year or two years, they bring those guys back because they realize they, mm. the value of them. Right. After seeing firsthand how effective these horses are, Captain Rake showed me around the facilities where she helps to take care of them. And she let me help out a little too. I got to clean them up, brush their tails, you know, get them looking respectable before going on duty. And so I got just a glimpse of what it takes to take care of these horses and how much training is involved. I think the real training is not so much with the horses, but with the humans. Becoming a mounted police officer doesn't happen overnight. These individuals spend a lot of time not only training, but bonding with their horses. The trust that both the person and the horse need to have for one another is critical. I mean, they've got to have each other's backs. And these officers feel connected with their horse in the same way they might with a human partner. There is another part of the military that trains for and uses horses, but it's for a more somber reason. Seven horses lead the way, walking down the street together. Four of them are being ridden by soldiers from the Cezanne platoon of the 3rd Infantry Regiment, the oldest infantry in the U.S. Army. Behind them are people following, on foot and in cars. They're at the Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia. The horses are pulling an artillery saison that holds a casket draped in the American flag. Their job is an important one, carrying fallen soldiers to their final resting place, where they will be at peace with their fellow veterans. The horses are taken care of in the stables near the area by the soldiers who ride them, but the servicemen and women don't typically have backgrounds in tending to these animals. Both the soldiers and the horses train rigorously for the honor of carrying out these funeral ceremonies, learning the styles of cavalry units that harken back to the past. The soldiers must wake before sunrise in order to clean and groom the horses, change out their horseshoes, and make sure they're just ready for the day. This is in addition to their own preparation, which often involves cleaning their uniforms and checking that they're free of horsehair and saliva. The horses have to get used to loud sounds coming from trumpets, rifles, and sometimes even cannons that are used during funerals. That's why when the army is scouting for horses to be used in the Cezanne platoon, they look for ones that tend to have calmer personalities. Everything must be as precise as possible and it often takes months before the soldiers and the horses are ready for the procession. This type of ceremony traces its roots back to the days in the military when horses were used extensively. 
Three of the horses don't even have riders in the Cezanne platoon. The reason is because in the past, these horses would be used to carry things like food and supplies during battles, as well as transporting injured soldiers to military hospitals. They're keeping the tradition alive, and in doing so, not only honor our veterans, but also the horses who helped our military. As humans, we relate easiest with other humans. When wars are won, we celebrate the people who helped provide a better future for us. But throughout American history, horses have carried heavy burdens and sacrificed their lives for our causes. Their history is intertwined with ours, and not just from our military. The term workhorse is a common one thanks to how much these animals have done for us. They've allowed us to roam from coast to coast, They've helped us harvest crops so we can put food on the table, and sometimes they've just been there for us to lean on when we needed a friend. Overall, it's certainly better now that millions of horses aren't dying in our wars. They deserve to have a life away from bullets and cannon fire, where they can roam freely across our land. At the same time, those periods of war brought us closer together with these horses on a level that we may never see again. We needed them. And although they didn't ask to be involved in our crazy affairs, they still rode out into battle after battle with us. That's something we should never forget. Thanks for listening to Reconnecting Roots. To learn more about the TV series, watch video clips, and more, go to reconnectingroots.tv. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. Until next time.